Hello, and welcome back to the Why You Know Doctor podcast. This is where we share stories from Asian leaders to empower and inspire the next generation. My name is Dominic, and I'm your host. So on our show, we have real uncensored conversations with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and other professionals. Through these conversations, I hope to inspire listeners like you to pursue what you really want to, while also making sure that you have the right mindset or advice to actually help you succeed along the way. So anyways, without further ado, enjoy this week's episode. Today I have Archie. Archie's been an actor for ages, a super long time. He's one of the few actors actually that's American that has been navigating and acting on both sides in China and the U.S. If you want to just dive into a little bit more about like what you do. Hello, everybody. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me along, Dominic. I did come from a family of engineers and accountants. Nobody in my family had ever had any artistic exposure. You kind of do butt up against the limitations of what the marketplace was able to offer you at the time. There was more of a marketplace for ethnic faces, I think, in the advertising space. So that's why I was doing commercials and stuff. And it was enough to help me limp along. Then my first regular show was in the late 90s when I did Power Rangers. I was doing independent films as well along the way. And then I ended up doing CSI. That was kind of what kept me from going to China sooner. I didn't have any connection to my heritage because my mom and biological dad split up. So she mm-hmm. remarried a white guy. And I grew up with two younger half-white sisters in Virginia. You know, at that time, at that age, I wasn't interested in learning Mandarin. I was interested in assimilate, like all of us know very well. I think I did such a good job of assimilating that I actually forgot that I was even Chinese. Didn't feel proud to be such, and I didn't, I didn't want to expand upon that until I was in my 40s for the first time I went to China and for a commercial because I wanted to actually connect with being Chinese. But I eventually segued into working there, and it was really bizarre to be working and performing in a language you don't even think in. After you moved to LA, you were just doing some commercials. Essentially, you were taking some time off before you like became a lawyer. Did the work pick up pretty fast? How soon after did you book Power Rangers? Because that's a pretty big deal. After you did that, were you like, this is what I'm going to do? You know, it's interesting because I didn't grow up with anything. I didn't feel like I had anything to lose. You know, I think you already know a lot of times what the answer is. You just need to be quiet enough to listen to it. I I knew that I wasn't fulfilled with living this sort of like cookie cutter life. I felt very compartmentalized. So I came to LA and when I first started, I was waiting tables. I remember one night sitting in the parking lot waiting for the parking attendant to leave because I couldn't pay $3 to leave the parking lot for my waiting tables job. And I remember thinking, you need to accept the fact that this, this might be all you get. Are you okay with that? It took me about four seconds and I'm like, yes. That's when I started to work, actually, after I had that clarity of intention is when, I don't know, the machinations of progress started to engage and I, and I started to build upon it. But the first thing that's most important if I reflect on my journey is just clarity. Like, what is it that you really want to do in your heart? You got to listen to your own music. And it takes a lot of courage to do that. But I think that's the only way you'll actually ever feel this kind of fulfillment. And in truth, I don't know if I've done all the things that I really want to do in my heart. I have to work on it as well because your perspectives change as you evolve. 
at the end of the day, like I think you can have more than like one passion as well. And like sure. those passions change as well. It's not necessarily just one thing. Right, right. You know, if you like pizza, that doesn't mean that you can't also like sushi. You know? yeah. No, that's <laughs> <You> great. Know, <laughs> one of the things I've liked about myself the most is also one of the things I haven't liked about myself the most. And that is that I feel like I'm really curious. I'm like, oh, maybe I'd like to learn about this or try this out. And meanwhile, you know, you only have so much time in the day. Yeah. So I'm not, I've not been one of those people that's just like hyper focused and like just this is the thing and that's all I do from sunup to sundown. And those are the type of people that become Olympians, I guess, because you need that type of like hyper laser focus. And if I'm being yeah. honest, I'm not. I like, oh, let me try this, I'll try that. And your, your view of the world is wide, but it's not always as deep. So that's yeah. one of the, you know, challenges of that. We're all multifaceted. Yeah, gotcha. I wanted to ask, like, is there a single event or decision that you think affected the rest of your life the most? You know, yeah. Back actually in college, I ran for student body vice president. I was 19. I was really, really, really scared. I was just always afraid to like, just afraid, I guess, to be bold. I coordinated with, you know, my friends and stuff there. And luckily, fortunately, I did, I did win. And then I think that that was the singular moment in my life that taught me that I could be bold and it would be okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And even if I lost, and, you know, in, in reflection, obviously, I would obviously still grow. And mm -hmm. when you get older, you realize if you don't fail, you're not trying hard enough. I wasn't ready for that philosophy at the time. I just, you know, didn't want to be, I don't know, I just didn't want to be regarded as a failure. So that kind of gave me the courage to be an actor. It planted a seed in my brain that just germinated. There's a quote that I had on my clipboard for a long time. It said, be bold and mighty forces will come to your aid. It's only one short life. Did that play a role in you ultimately deciding to like move to China? That was a confluence of events, actually, because, you know, I was just really appreciating it because back when I was younger I was growing up I was kind of hiding in the shadows all the time you just kind of want to fit in yeah and then you get older you get more secure and you're like wait a second how come I don't have any understanding of what's going on I mean nowadays I think it's fashionable to speak Mandarin it wasn't then yeah for sure I think it definitely is as well and this is kind of odd but my mom's um an immigrant to this country. And when she first moved here, I mean, things didn't go according to plan. She split up with my dad, as I mentioned, at a very early age, and she couldn't afford to keep me. So she, at that point, was in Maryland, I believe. And she went into this church and started crying. Not so much because she's religious, as much as because she didn't have a place to be. Like, she couldn't afford to feed her baby son. Wow. So she went into this church and started crying, didn't know what to do. She didn't have anybody with her. Her family was, you know, all in, in Taiwan. And so the pastor, I guess, comes over and is like, can I help you? And in her broken English, she kind of explains what's going on. And, I, and then he tells the congregation what's going on. And then there's this family for some odd reason that was there from Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania. And oddly, they were like, yeah, we'll take them. And my mom's like, okay. <laughs> so I actually grew up on a farm with this, this white family in Western Pennsylvania for a few years until my mom could get on her feet and come back and get me. And this family already had five kids of their own. And we grew up on a working farm. Like, they were, oh, oh, you know, the rooster to crow. And I had to wow. pull on my overalls and go clean out the pig pen. Wow, that's crazy. 
you know, I'm so grateful to them because imagine how many things could have gone wrong with that scenario, right? But they didn't treat me like, I didn't know that I was different. I didn't know I was ethnic. I didn't know I was Asian until I went to elementary school. Like growing up, they never treated me different. They punished me when I misbehaved just like their other kids and yeah. you know, concluded me. I'm so, so grateful to this family. And so I grew up thinking that, you know, I was white, but obviously was not. So it, when you get older, you have to like learn how to adjust. And then I was like kind of always coloring between the lines, you know, when yeah. I was growing up. And then when you get older, you're like, wait a second, there's got to be more to this. I did such a good job of assimilating that I, <laughs> you know, I forgot that I was actually Asian. Yeah. Which is kind of embarrassing, right? So I, I go there and I go to China and people think that I can, you know, that I should be able to speak and understand all those things, which I simply did not. Yeah. And my mom gave me a Chinese name. I was already in my 40s when she gave me a Chinese name. Because she was like, oh, you're going to go to China for the first time. I better give you a name. So I feel like I was already like, you gave me a rebirth. At that point, I was an adult, of course. And I'm waiting, not waiting. I'm willing and able to learn about who I really was. Going along with that question, how has being Asian positively or negatively impacted your life? Best and most challenging parts of being mm -hmm. Chinese is that you're so different that you kind of are forced to find your own way in a world yeah. that does have clear definition of how they want you to behave. Yeah. When I look back at it, like my journey into at first Hollywood and then into China is like, it's like standing at the entrance of a forest and it's up to you to carve your own path. You just kind of have to go with it. And as the times have changed now since then, I think it's a wonderful time. If you look at like, just how much the world has progressed. So the path of progress is just so much faster. So I would say that if you were ever interested in being a creative, do that. I just firmly believe there will be a place for you. Mm -hmm. That actually probably ties into the next question perfectly. Like what advice would you give to a young Asian kid in college about to graduate today? Do whatever you do and do it well. And just spend time with people that can help make you better. And then you'll have something to, to offer. I believe it was Adam Carolla. He's like, honestly, you just have to be like good at what you do. You don't need to be good at everything, but you need to be good at what your usefulness is. If you're good, you're useful. If you're great, you can be indispensable. I think like a good thing that I learned is just like, you know, a really key component of like becoming a good actor is like literally not like acting. And it's just like, you really just know the character really well and you understand the circumstances. Yeah. Just yeah. think character thoughts. I mean, when you are doing stage or film, you know, then you often have opportunity to kind of play somebody that seems a lot more different than your everyday yeah. life. Yeah. That's what, um, you know, security and confidence with, you know, just being in your own body. It's just a maturation. I think one of the indications of a mature artist is not just to be showy, but it's actually to be very efficient. You know, less is more in a lot of ways. My friend, he's a pro tennis player, I can watch him with a stroke. And his stroke is just so much leaner and more efficient than mine. Because that's complete mastery. When you really know what you're doing, you don't need to emphasize it. You just own it already. But in art, there's no finish line. I mean, you're always looking to improve and refine it. 
I wanted to ask just a little bit for anyone that's interested in moving to like China and and I think probably in the world, you're one of the few people that have a lot of that cross cultural film experience. So I wanted to kind of get an idea or just any thoughts that you have to do acting or work in the entertainment industry. Kind of like what I was mentioning earlier, I was just trying to learn about being Chinese. And along the way, I ended up working. And, you know, all these, all, all these things kind of segued together in, in a way that I hadn't planned. It just kind of grew that way. But in retrospect, I read this thing once. It was like, he's like, sometimes you just got to take your hat and throw it over the fence. If you throw your hat over the fence, yeah. then you're like, well, now I got to get the hat. I got to figure out how to climb this wall. When I announced that I was going to run for a student office when I was 19, I kind of put it out there and then I was like, figure out how to get there. But I think your mind starts processing the events. But once you announce it, it becomes something that you're kind of accountable for. So if I were to think about the events in my life that have shaped me the most, it's when I actually announced something that seemed really difficult for me to adjust to, my mind started to work on the process and then I started to become more comfortable with the idea of it. If you say something and you make a decision that you're going to do this thing, then there's a subconscious part of your brain. It's like programs running in the background. It's called the reticular activating system, RAS. And so it's like, if you're looking to buy, let's say you wanted to buy this type of car, then walking down the street, you'll always see that car everywhere. I, I kind of feel like whatever your journey is, like if you are clear at least about the events, then those other things can begin to engage. And that's why I'm a big proponent of taking time to yourself, just to listen to yourself. You already know the answer. You just need to shut the hell up and listen to it. You know, nobody's going to be able to prescribe a journey to me. You know, like, yeah, my journey is, is going to be unique to me and whoever else does mm -hmm. their thing. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people really do already just know. If you just had three seconds to make a decision, which one would you make? I think you just need to be bold because no matter what, like, the clock is ticking. We only get so much time, you know, so, so do it because all that other stuff will fade away, but it's your life. Be bold, you know, be bold. And you'll see that once you start becoming bold or brave or have courage, that's like a muscle that you exercise that actually gets stronger. I think the dynamic that is going to be something that's shareable is I think what would be of more interest to whoever's listening just because like that's the dynamic that's going to drive your life. It's like everyone's experience is really going to be different. Right. I just have a few last questions. I wanted to ask just if there was a habit that you've benefited the most from. Oh, that's a good question. Certainly when I was young, I would just kind of try to scare myself every day. But to my chagrin, I will admit as I've gotten older and made a little more money that I probably had stopped doing that as much, which is a thing I need to manage. That's a dynamic then in my own life that I feel like I need to manage. And that I, as I mentioned earlier, when you don't have anything, you don't feel like you have anything to lose. When you get older, mm -hmm. you know, you're like, well, you start making other considerations about your risk tolerance for certain things. And that is something that I try to still maintain as a habit. But when I was younger, I always like wanted to try to just put myself out there. If you're at point A, even if you don't know where you're going, just drive blindly to whatever your point B will be. You'll have different vistas to do at that point. Your, your perspective changes, but you've got to get out of point A. You've got to go to point B. It's true that ships are safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are made for. Yeah, you know? that makes sense. Well, what about on the flip side of that? What's like the worst habit that you have? 
I am very curious and I often will allow myself to get distracted a little too much with something. And that kind of means that maybe I'll start a bunch of different things that I don't finish. And that's a, a habit that I have that I, I don't like about myself. I don't know if you've read this book or you've heard of it, but essentially the guy that did the biography on Steve Jobs, Isaac Walterson, he did another biography on Leonardo da Vinci. It's like one of the best books I've ever read. I think people think of like da Vinci, at least I did. I was like, oh, he's like a painter. Uh-huh. But actually, I mean, today you would say he had like extreme ADD. The thing is he was so relentlessly curious about everything where he was so much more than a painter. Really, he was like a scientist. I mean, like he dissected like 45 bodies and like mapped out and drew out every single nerve, every single muscle, and also about not completing stuff. So there's one painting that he has that he started when he was like 20. And there's one piece where it was the neck and he couldn't figure out if the muscle, like if there's one muscle or two muscles in that in the neck and he wanted to do it correctly. So actually only until like 40 years later did he complete that same painting and he just finished the neck muscle. He has so many like unfinished works. It's crazy. If you, like, if you read the book, literally everything is like unfinished. I don't think it's a bad thing because at the end of the day, it's like worked really hard and like tried his best. Well, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I certainly will check it out. All right, two last questions. What's like the smallest thing that you're grateful for? Well, that's a big, that's a big, <laughs> I think that, that I'm still here, I guess, <laughs> whatever, you know, the bumps and the bruises that I've endured along the way, you know, that's kind of helped bring me here, you know, to mm-hmm. have the perspective that I have. I don't think I can actually attribute one singular event. Maybe I'll probably be thinking about it later today and I'll come up with something. I'm like, Oh, I know what it is now, but off. <laughs> Fair so, enough. Okay, cool. So any, uh, any last parting words or like plugs you want to make? I mean, what, what are you working on right now? Like how can people check out some of your work? The trade war has put a lot of projects that I had over in China on in the freezer for the moment. So I'm back in LA right now doing some stuff. And I, I just finished the first film, the first project that I've had um, in the States since 2014. One thing that's cool about it though, is that I'm, you know, again, I'm, I'm back with content creators here and now that I've had the experience in China for the last four and a half years or so, it's, you know, I, at the heart of it all, I just am still in this business because I just, like everybody else, loves good stories. Regardless of culture or language, I think the variables can change, but the dynamics of being human really haven't. I mean, since, you know, the beginning, we have smartphones and all that kind of stuff now, but really, like, since the beginning of time as humans, we still understand the basic desires, the drivers of our humanity of love and belonging and, you know, sadness and, you know, all these things. What I'm doing now in America and when I go back to to Asia as well is just to find and distill what are these fundamental human things that we could kind of then talk about in our stories. I'm not so much interested in just talking about film or TV. Primary interest is even if you're looking, watching it, 30 second commercial, that commercial still follows a structure. I'm interested in that. And the reason I stay in this business is not because I want to have this glowing fame and fortune. Of course, glowing fame and fortune is good for business, but it allows you to kind of get back to what you really care about, which is trying to tell stories about being human. Nice. What's the last film that you just wrapped up? Oh, it's called The Gift with Crazy Rich Asians. You know, Lisa Liu, who plays the matriarch, the family, the grandmother. 
She's actually the lead actress. Nice. The story, she conspires with her grandkids to break out of the nursing home that she's in because she wants to go on a road trip to see the last place that she was with with her husband. Thematically, it's about time. And I'm down for that because I think about that all the time. I always think about, you know, we can always make more money. We can't make more time. Mm -hmm. You know, so get going and and do what you you love. That's That's awesome, dude. Thanks so much, Dominic, for having me. And, uh, you know, thrilled to reconnect with you again. So, yeah, uh, thanks, man. Yeah, and thank you for your story. Great talking to you again, Dom. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Why You Know Doctor podcast. If you want to check out some more of our content, you can follow us on social media with uh, the handle at WYND podcast. And also, if you just have any other feedback for myself, guest suggestions or anything else that you want to tell me you can reach out to me directly at dominic at why you know so until next time stay tuned and thanks for listening